Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is July the 3rd, and our chapter for today is Joel chapter 2. Joel is a very small book, so we're really going to include all of the book, but especially chapter 2, because there is hardly a chapter anywhere in the Bible that evokes more emotion than Joel chapter 2. But the entire book is fascinating. And so before we look at chapter 2, I want us to look at the context of Joel, especially the historical context. Now, many good men, I would say great men, differ on the time of Joel. But after research in my own life, I'm not going to die on this hill, but I believe that Joel would fall somewhere in the 850s to the 840s. That is, I believe some 850 years before Jesus walked on the earth, Joel the prophet, Yahweh is God, Hashem is God, is the name of the prophet that he prophesied to the kingdom of Judah the southern kingdom. Now, he prophesied to everyone of his time, the nations of his time, especially as it relates to nations like Edom, those that were surrounding Israel. But I believe that you can find something of the historical context of Joel in 2 Chronicles chapter 21 where you had just had a great famine that was brought on by a locust plague somewhere around 852. You had the revolt of Edom about the year 845. And so you have some of the commonalities of the judgments that were brought about during the days of Joel happening along the time that Jehoram or Joram was the king of the southern kingdom, and he followed in the ways of the northern kings. Specifically, Ahab and Jezebel were mentioned as the idolatry which he followed. Now, you can do an extensive study on this. I have done that, and that's the reason that I date Joel somewhere in the 850 range. However, many good men believe that it's post-exilic, and it could be. I don't know. There are reasons, good reasons on both, but I fall on the earth early side, the early dating of Joel, for a number of reasons uh, beyond what I'm talking about now to you in the limited podcast that I have, simply because I want to get to chapter two. But let's look at Joel as a whole. Joel's prophecy has two primary messages. One, a call to repentance. The nation was in a fix. It was in a mess. The judgment of God had come upon them because of their wickedness. God had already begun to deal with both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. God had sent plagues, and he had sent locusts, and he had sent famine. There was this huge famine about this time that I mentioned that it seemed to get everyone's attention. And and so God was saying, look, what is happening now is just a precursor and a foreshadowing of the great day of the Lord that is coming. 
Now, this is no doubt a reference to the days that are yet to come. The day of the Lord, as such as it is mentioned prophetically, has never happened. I believe the day of the Lord is synonymous with the days of the Great Tribulation. It is a time of woe. It is a time when God pours out his wrath upon not only his people, Israel, but also upon the nations of the earth because it is as though the great reservoir of God's wrath will burst and it will be poured out upon the earth. After all, God's been merciful for millennia and he has wooed his own people back to himself, not only the nation of Israel, But the church of Jesus, the bride of Christ that's made up of Jew and Gentile. And so God says judgment is coming. Judgment has already come, but it is a little drop in the ocean to what it's going to be if you do not repent. So God calls his people to repentance. You see, God has said if you walk this way, there is judgment at the end of this path. Now, it's not that God changes his mind, but when you change your direction, God is then able to pour out his blessings upon you because you are no longer headed toward judgment. Let's just say that you're walking east to west, and if you continue to walk toward the west, there's going to be judgment. So how do you avert that judgment? You do an about face and start walking toward the east. There is not judgment there. There is divine mercy. All I'm saying is whatever direction you want to place there, that's not what's important. I want you to see that God is saying you need to do an about face because not only individuals and families and communities and cities, but entire nations, countries go astray much as our nation has and is going astray today. And so God says, repent, turn. How does that start? That starts with one person, two, 10, 100, 1,000. One million. But it is always a remnant. It is always a small group. God doesn't ask that revival come through lost people, the heathen. Revival only has to do with God's people. I reiterate that over and over and over again, simply because we've got to get this in our mind. It is the responsibility of those of us who know God to be the instrument of redemption to the nation. Now, it is the Lord who redeems. It is the Lord who saves. But he uses instruments and tools of redemption we are it. It was with the prophet Joel. Now it's interesting that the locusts had come and God names them and he specifically talks about the chewing locust, uh, the swarming locust, the crawling locust, and uh, the consuming locust. In other words, they came in at every angle and destroyed. And that is the way that God's judgment is. God is merciful. He gives us a warning and warning and And then God says, that's enough. And so he calls us to repentance. This is why in chapter 2, it starts out with blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the shofar. Warning, warning. This is going to happen. Sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming for it's at hand. Now that wasn't just true in the days of Joel. 
but it was true in the days of the Lord Jesus, and it is coming in the future in an unprecedented, unparalleled time that there has never been. The Lord Jesus spoke of this on the Mount of Olives, and he said there has never been a time like this that is coming. And so the call is in verse 12. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, it cannot be an outer show. So many times we are interested in making sure everybody knows that we're repenting. The one that needs to know we're repenting is God Almighty. Because if repentance is true, it will not be long till everyone will notice the difference. And the reason we need to do this is because when we return to the Lord our God, He is gracious and merciful, verse 13. He is slow to anger and great of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Not that he repents, he turns. No. What that means is that God is so compassionate that he says, I will do everything I can to help you to avoid judgment. And it says he will leave a blessing behind him. God will do everything he can that's within his power to help us, but we must help ourselves by returning to the Lord. Then it says that the Lord will be zealous for his land, verse 18, and pity his people. And the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and you wine and oil. And you will be satisfied by them, and I will no longer make you a reproach to the nations. I believe God is doing that now in our present day to his people Israel. And they are becoming a blessing to the nations, a blessing to all the earth. And God will help them and encourage them. He said in verse 25, this is not just to Israel, but this is to the people of God everywhere. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust. In other words, God names every particular ailment and every particular type of judgment that came upon them. God has a remedy for that. And he said, uh, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt bountifully with you. And then when we come to verse 28, we have, I believe, the great promise that not only pertained to Pentecost, but yet is a day that is coming to the nation of Israel itself. When God, yes, will pour out his spirit upon the nation of Israel itself, I I believe that what happened at Pentecost was indeed a mystery that the people of Israel didn't understand until it happened. And this is why Peter had to explain it. You see, those people who were going in to the temple area through that southern gateway, the southern steps where Peter would have preached that great Pentecostal message, thousands upon thousands were going in on the great day of Shavuot. They were going in to make their offerings. These were spiritual people. They had come from all over the earth. They were coming to say, God, we are bringing you your offerings. We are coming with our hearts open. And their hearts were ready to receive this. And they just didn't understand what was going on. And Peter said, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now, all of the things that Joel talked about did not happen. So that uh, leads me to believe that there's coming a greater fulfillment 
fulfillment of this in the future. And I believe that God's Spirit will be poured out on the nation of Israel just as He promised. He said in verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, that is, male and female, rich and poor, weak and strong. This was poured out upon the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost. Gentiles were not involved in this. You need to understand this, everyone. For the first eight to ten years of the church of Jesus, it was all Jews. On the day of Pentecost, those were Jews that were going in the temple. Yes, there may have been some proselytes there. Yes, there may have been some visitors there. But this was primarily an outpouring upon the Jewish people. He said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I believe God poured his spirit out upon the early church, which was entirely Jewish, entirely Jewish until Cornelius. And again, that was eight to 10 years on down the road. So what Joel is saying is a prophecy to the Jewish people, those that made up the church 2000 years ago. And since then, everyone, Jew or Gentile, Gentiles grafted into the great covenant promises of born spiritually into God's family. So therefore, we don't claim the national promises, the physical promises as Jews. We don't become Jews when we become followers of Jesus were Gentiles, but we're filled with the same spirit of God that Jews are. We worship the same Messiah that they do. We worship the same God they do. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus. Now, please understand this. Jew or Gentile can only be saved the same way, and that is through the name of Jesus and through the person of Jesus, and through the shed blood of Jesus, and they are declared righteous by his resurrection from the dead, because then he grants righteousness to all who will come to him. No one can earn their righteousness. God has to grant it, and he does that in the person of Jesus. This is why the Jewish rabbi who came to Jesus, Saul of Tarsus, who was also called Paul the sent one, the apostle, sent as a special emissary and messenger to the Gentile world, he said that by trusting, by faith, we are justified, and that means that we are declared to be righteous by a sovereign God, by the work of another, and that other is the Lord Jesus from heaven, who was absolutely and perfectly sinless, and he died not for his own sins, to pay for his own sins, but to pay for your sins and my sins. And when we come to him, he not only forgives us of all that we've ever done, done. Thank God of all that we'll ever do. There's only one one penalty for sin, and that's death. He died to pay the penalty for all of our sins, all that we'll ever commit. There's just one penalty for sin, whether you've committed one or a million. And that is what he did. He paid the penalty for our sin. But we would be in a mess unless he granted us his righteousness that he earned, not his essential righteousness as God, but the righteousness as the second Adam that he earned by living a perfect life in obedience to God, yielded to the Holy Spirit. And because of his righteous life, he is able to put that on 
on the account of every sinner that comes to him. He not only wipes their slate clean, but he puts on their account, on your account, on my account, who have repented of our sins, placed our trust in him, trust his faith. We put all of our weight on him, and God says, now I give them the righteousness of my son. So on my ledger in heaven, it is not my righteousness, no, not works which I have done, but I have been born into the family of God, forgiven of all my sins. Jesus paid my penalty of all that I've ever done, and he placed on my ledger his righteousness. He took my sin. And he gave me his righteousness so that when God looks on the ledger of Tony Crisp, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, his son. And that's the reason I have a relationship with him. And so Joel said, this all is coming to pass, and I have God's Spirit living within me, not because of works that I have done, but as a gift from God, He has given me His Holy Spirit where God lives in me, that's right, Christ in me, and without being super theological or spiritual, the Holy Spirit is Jesus in us. Christ in you, Messiah in you, Jesus in you is the expectation and the the hope of glory. That is what the Apostle Paul said to the Colossians. And so the great manifestation, the supernatural manifestations of chapter 2, verse 30, verse 31, and 32, all of that, all of that is yet to come. Yes, that's right. You see, God's not finished. He's still in control. Aren't you glad? It ought to cause us to want to serve Him and love Him more. And serve others in Jesus' name. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.